Every year, thousands of people are told there's no explanation for their health concerns and no way to fix them. They feel frustrated, undermined, and lost. I know, because that was me, before I figured out the actual causes and reclaimed my health. Now, I help others do the same. I'm Ina Toppler, and this is Health Mystery Solved. Welcome back to part two of Ask Me Anything About Hashimoto's. I'm Ina Toppler, and I'm so excited that you're joining me today. If you missed last week's episode, I talked about Hashimoto's triggers and the relationship between stress, adrenals, food sensitivities, heavy metals, and Epstein-Barr virus. Today, I'm answering questions about thyroid function with Hashi, as well as all of your metabolism questions, since it's such a big topic. Before we get to our first question though, I wanted to thank everyone that entered the giveaway and for all of your reviews on iTunes and all of your messages on Instagram. It's so nice to connect with so many of you. Okay, on to our first question. In a situation regarding Hashimoto's, is TSH a reliable indicator of the body's thyroid hormone needs? And if not, what else can we use to know what the body needs? Great question. And this creates so much confusion for so many people. So the short answer is no, TSH is not a reliable indicator at all. And there's several reasons for that. First, the ranges for TSH are very broad, typically between about 4.5 and 5, depending on where in the country you live. But that's not really optimal. So first and foremost, we want to make sure that when we're looking at these levels, we're looking at optimal ranges. And the optimal range for TSH is actually between 1.8 and 3. If you're on thyroid medicine, that shifts a little bit. And that's typically between about one and three, because a lot of times thyroid medicine will suppress TSH and it'll be a little lower and that's okay. But the other big thing as to why TSH is not a reliable indicator is because there are so many other thyroid hormones and everything is important to see the full picture. So TSH, believe it or not, is actually not a thyroid hormone. TSH is a pituitary hormone. So TSH is basically showing how the pituitary is stimulating the thyroid. And then from that, TSH is going to stimulate the thyroid to produce its hormones, but it's only going to stimulate the thyroid to produce T4 and just a tiny little bit of T3, because typically the thyroid produces about 94% T4 and only 6% T3. So there's a lot of other steps that need to happen. Once T4 is produced, the T4 then has to convert to T3 because it doesn't produce a lot of it in the thyroid. And so T4 then has to actually go to the liver where about 60% of it ideally is converted from T4 to T3. T4 also goes to the gut and about 20% should be converted there. And then there's something called reverse T3, which is sort of like the opposite of T3. We actually can't use it. It blocks the receptors, but because it almost acts like an overflow valve, we do convert a little bit up to 20% of our T4 into reverse T3. So in an ideal situation, we would have 80% conversion from T4 to T3 in both the liver and the gut. 
Now we have T4 that's bound to proteins, which is called total T4 and total T3. And then we also have the free hormones, which are not bound to hormones that are available to cells and can get into cells and be used. And those are the free T4 and free T3. So in order to really truly evaluate what's happening, we can't look at TSH because TSH could be normal because T4 is normal, but someone may not be converting and they can have really low T3, either total or free. Or perhaps TSH is normal and T4 is okay, but someone has a really high reverse T3. That can often happen during times of stress or inflammation. And even if their T3 is okay, if their reverse T3 is really high, their receptors are blocked and they can't use it. Or in another situation, their totals can be low, but their freeze can be high. And that's an indication that there's thyroid hormone resistance and it's not getting into the cell. So it's very, very tricky. And if you see a normal TSH and that's all you tested, you absolutely cannot assume everything is okay just because of TSH. The other way this can go is that in some situations, TSH can be elevated if there's some type of Hashimoto's flare-up or inflammation going on. And a lot of times, if doctors only test TSH and don't test anything else, they're going to be very quick to put someone on thyroid medicine, just telling them, oh, your TSH is high, you must have hypothyroidism, let's get you on medicine. But if that's the only thing you test and you don't test the thyroid antibodies for Hashimoto's or the other hormones, it's possible you may be going on medicine unnecessarily. And I am all for medicine when it comes to thyroid if it's needed. I'm not against it, but it has to be used in the right way. And so if TSH is elevated due to inflammation and you test someone and they have high antibodies, whether it's TPO antibodies or thyroglobulin antibodies, which are the two antibodies for Hashimoto's, we know there is an attack happening. But if all of their actual hormones, their T4, their T3, both total and free, and the reverse is okay, it's very typical that this inflammation is temporary and they're still producing enough hormones. So medication may not be warranted at that time. So that's why it's so important that when you look at thyroid markers, you really want to look at everything, TSH, total T4, total T3, free T4, free T3, and reverse T3, as well, of course, as thyroid antibodies. And if you have Hashimoto's, there's always going to be some antibodies, but a lot of times if you know that your antibodies are typically, say, in the hundreds, and all of a sudden they're in the thousands, there is some type of an inflammatory response or flare-up happening. So that's good to see as well. I also have a ton of resources on this if you want to learn more. I did a really in-depth episode about this. That was episode 27. I'm also in the process of finishing up my thyroid course, which is going to go a lot more in-depth about all of this and how you can actually figure out what your thyroid pattern is and exactly what you can do about it. The course is going to launch in the fall. And of course, I will keep you posted on all of that. Question number two is, why does someone with Hashimoto's feel tired all day long? How can we help this and what can we do to wake up feeling refreshed and have more energy throughout the day? All right, so this is a little bit of a loaded question and I think we need to break it up a little bit. So first of all, having Hashimoto's is certainly an issue, but we want to look at what else is creating issues for you. So oftentimes we know that if you have Hashimoto's, your immune system is attacking your thyroid. And a lot of the time, that is one of the underlying reasons for hypothyroidism or a slow thyroid. 
So first and foremost, you want to make sure that your thyroid is optimized because if you have Hashimoto's, but you've addressed a lot of the triggers, which I talked about in last week's episode, and your thyroid is functioning the way that it's supposed to, whether it's with help from nutrition or supplements or if needed medication, then in theory, you should not feel tired. For me, for example, when my thyroid was not managed well and I had a lot of flare-ups with Hashimoto's and a lot of inflammation, I did feel off. But once I got all of that under control, thankfully, I don't feel that anymore. So I think in order to really look at thyroid, you really want to look at all of the different hormones that we just talked about. So you don't want to just test TSH. You want to test for all of them. And you want to make sure that all of them are in the optimal ranges, not just in the lab range. And in some situations, if your thyroid really is hypo and there is enough destruction, sometimes a small dose of medication may be needed. And I talk about this a lot. Of course, as a nutritionist, I try to do things naturally and I never want to recommend medication unless absolutely necessary. But when it comes to thyroid, if it is off, and natural things are not working, medication is something that is needed because you want to think of it not so much as a medication, but rather you don't have enough of a very vital, important hormone and you're just replacing what you don't have so you can get it. Of course, there's also a lot of natural ways to support thyroid with various supplements, but it just depends on how much destruction there is and how much of your own thyroid is functioning and what your numbers look like. The other thing that you want to consider is adrenal issues. So many times thyroid and adrenals are very interrelated. And a lot of times, especially with Hashimoto's, because stress is one of the triggers and because there's typically infections and toxins, that's going to bring more physical stress on the body. And a lot of people with Hashimoto's, or I should really say a lot of people in general have adrenal issues. And so sometimes if you test your thyroid and everything is right in the range and completely normal and your antibodies are not through the roof, it's most likely an adrenal issue. And then you also want to make sure that you're looking at your nutrients. You want to look at what you're eating, make sure you're eating clean, make sure that you're absorbing everything well, and make sure you don't have any specific nutrient deficiencies because there's often a lot of issues with Hashimoto's and gut. And again, it's not just Hashimoto's. I think with a lot of chronic diseases and autoimmunity, there's going to be a gut connection. It could be then that we're not absorbing things as well. So we may be eating well, but we may need more of certain nutrients or we may just be more deficient in certain things. So iron, B12, other B vitamins, these are all big energy nutrients. So, you know, it's a little bit hard to answer this question exactly because I think it's different for different people, but I want you to think of it more, not from the perspective of, oh, I'm tired because I have Hashimoto's, but it's more, I'm tired because there's something going on, which is also probably linked to the Hashimoto's. And that's, you know, an actual thyroid issue, an adrenal issue, a nutrient deficiency, a gut issue and things like that. I hope that's helpful. The next question is, my diagnosis of Hashimoto's only came after being on thyroid medication for years. Can this medication be contributing to Hashimoto's? In my opinion, I think not typically. What often happens is that when you go to see a doctor, they're going to test TSH and maybe T4. And if it's off, they're going to tell you, yes, you have hypothyroidism and they'll put you on medication. But they don't test you for Hashimoto's right away. 
especially if you go to just a general primary type of physician, I rarely see doctors look at even a full thyroid panel, forget antibodies. Sometimes even when you see an endocrinologist, they don't test for antibodies. So it's possible that the Hashimoto's could have been there for years and you just never knew about it because no one tested for it. However, if you were tested for Hashimoto's initially when you had hyperthyroidism and were put on medication and it wasn't there, but the hypothyroidism was, it is possible the Hashimoto's was sort of in the process of being created because a lot of times it takes years for things to happen. So the immune system could have already been somewhat confused. You may have already had certain triggers like food triggers or stress triggers or toxins. And so it could have been in the works. Um, and of course, you know, anything is possible, but I don't think that it's the medication that would create that because really the medication is just supplying the same hormones that your own thyroid produces. Now, whether you're taking a synthetic medication like Synthroid, which is synthetic T4, or if you're doing Cytomel, that's synthetic T3, or you're doing a natural desiccated thyroid like an Armour or a Westroid, they're going to be slightly different but it's still the same idea where they're just supplying very similar hormones to what your own thyroid is producing. Now, in some situations, medications do have certain fillers. For example, there might be cornstarch. So if someone is extremely, extremely sensitive to corn and they're taking something every day with cornstarch, it can set off their immune system. But that's really in like very, very sensitive people and more complex cases. But I think the medication alone is probably not what did it. I think it's really more that it was either there all along or was in the works. The next question is, do you have to eat after taking levothyroxine? And by the way, for those who don't know, levothyroxine is a T4 thyroid medicine. And can it be taken when doing a water fast? Um, you do want to take the medication on an empty stomach. So you don't want to eat right with it and you want to wait at least an hour after. And so if you happen to be doing a water fast for a day or two or however your practitioner or doctor recommends, I don't think that it's an issue at all. I don't think you necessarily need food later in a day to absorb it. So that is okay. Now, I also got multiple questions about how to lose weight when you have Hashimoto's. One person wrote, I'm mostly paleo, eat small portions, but I can't lose weight. Another person asked, I can't lose weight. And if I have a treat, even something like a small piece of chocolate, I gain two pounds. And also another person wrote, I had Hashimoto since I was 20. Now I'm 42 and perimenopausal. I eat organic, do all the right things. Why am I not losing weight? Oh, you guys, I can totally understand how frustrating. So I think that the issue here is twofold. First, we have to look at thyroid function itself, like we talked about in the earlier question. So is it optimal? Did we test all of the thyroid hormones and are all of them in the right range? Because so often, you know, we know obviously thyroid has a big effect on metabolism and, you know, people know they have Hashimoto's, but they may not realize their thyroid is not supported the way that it should be. And so they could be low in T3, or they may have too much reverse T3, or maybe there is something going on with their T4, even if their TSH is normal. So please, please look at all of your hormones and make sure that they're optimal. Now, if there are 
then we know that the issue is not thyroid function and then it's something else. So the next thing you wanna look at is the food that you eat and specifically sensitivities. Because if we're sensitive to a certain food, you know, whether it's gluten or dairy, but it also could be things like chicken or eggs or nuts. I mean, there's so many different foods we could be sensitive to that creates inflammation. It can cause us to gain more water weight. There could be hormonal imbalances that lead to that. And then it creates a metabolism issue. So food sensitivities is number two. And then the other thing that we want to think about is metabolic types. So we are all different and our metabolisms are going to be different. And there are some people that are what we consider more fat or protein types. And there are other people who are more carb types. So it doesn't mean that you like one more than the other, though it's possible that that's the case, but it's more that people may process fats and proteins better and others may process carbs. Now, it doesn't mean that if you're a carb metabolism type that you have to eat a lot of carbs or if you're protein, you have to eat a lot of protein, but it does mean that you burn things better when they're higher in protein or higher in carbs. So for example, if someone is a carb type, they do better with having a little bit more carb. Now, when I say a little bit more, I'm not talking about having bowls and bowls of pasta. What I'm saying is just, you know, having a serving, which is about a half a cup or three quarters of a cup of some kind of a good quality starch. And at the same time, they do better with having less fat. So eating something where they're maybe doing some brown rice and veggies and a little bit of a lean meat because that works better for their metabolism. If someone is more of a protein or fat type, they do better when they have less carbs and they have more fat and more protein. And so for those people who are more protein fat types, they're gonna do great on things like paleo because typically it's lower carb and higher fat. But if you are a carb type and I'm a carb type, whenever I do anything that's very strict, paleo and higher fat, and higher protein, I actually gain weight or at least, you know, don't lose weight. And I think that when it comes to Hashimoto's, we talk a lot about eliminating gluten, eliminating grains, and certainly that is the correct thing for a lot of people, but how we balance our other food is really, really important. And so if you're doing straight paleo and you're a carb type, then you may be gaining weight because of the ratios of the foods because you're eating a lot of fat. Because oftentimes when you look at some of the paleo diets, it's not like you're counting how much fat you're actually putting in. You know, you're having tablespoons of oils and, you know, avocados and different types of nuts. And not only do the calories add up, but if your body is meant to process carbs more so than fats, it wouldn't be right for you. And then the same thing if someone is doing a higher carb diet, sometimes they're also eating a lot of fat with that. And that can contribute. And if they're more of a protein type, that's not going to work. So look at that. And, you know, there's a ton of quizzes online where you can figure out if you're more of a carb type or a protein type. And if you're doing paleo and let's say you are doing grain free and you are a carb type, it doesn't mean that it's a problem. You can still do that. You just have to be really mindful about how much fat you use and then try to get your starches from the non-grain types of carbs. So things like squashes and sweet potatoes and cassava, which are okay. You just have to be mindful of how much fat you eat. I hope that makes sense. And I also got a question uh, from the opposite spectrum, which is how can I gain weight? I have trouble gaining weight with Hashimoto's and I'm underweight. And so really it's the same idea here. You want to look at thyroid function and make sure that you're not hyper. A lot of times people may be 
over-medicated or over-supplemented and the TSH may be too suppressed, but in addition, the actual hormones, they may be too high. Or perhaps you may be having a lot of Hashimoto's flare-ups where the thyroid becomes hyper and then it may become hypo and then hyper. And if you have more hyper episodes versus hypo episodes, you're going to have more weight loss and you know things that are associated with a faster thyroid. And then the other thing is from a metabolic type perspective, if you are a carb type, then you do well with having a little bit more carbs. And so if you eat that way, that would work. But if you're eating in a way that's more paleo, then that's not going to work. And another trick if you're trying to gain weight is if you combine your carbohydrates and fats together, it's a good way to gain weight. And of course, I'm not talking about bad carbohydrates and bad fats, but I'm talking about things like, let's say, sweet potato and some ghee or some avocado. So carbs and fats together help us to gain weight. And of course, if you're trying to lose weight, you want to be mindful of that. You don't want to have too many fats with too many carbs. And that's why we say you either do a little bit more carbs if that's right for you with less fat, or you do a little bit more fat and protein with less carbs. The next question is, does a ketogenic diet help or hurt people with Hashimoto's? I have read both positions. So the answer to this is, it actually depends. And that's the reason why I think you've heard and read both positions, because it depends on how you look at it. So first, it can be a bit stressful. So it depends on your adrenal glands and it depends on what your body can handle. So if you're under a lot of stress and you have a lot of infections and there's a lot going on emotionally, it may just be too much for you to do. And it may be something you would want to ease into versus starting right away. And so if that's the case, then it would hurt more than help. The other problem is that in a typical ketogenic diet, dairy is allowed, but dairy is a problem for a lot of people, especially those with autoimmunity and Hashimoto's. So I would say, make sure that you do a good food sensitivity test, see if dairy is an option for you. And if it's not, you don't want to include it. And I know a lot of people who do keto tell me, oh, I love that I can have all this cheese and dairy, but again, that may not be good for your immune system with Hashimoto's. You also want to take a look at your metabolic type. So obviously a ketogenic diet is going to be really high fat and some protein and very low carb. So if you're a carb type, you're not going to do as well on it because it's just way too much fat. And you also just want to be mindful about how you feel. Like for me, for example, being a carb type, whenever I try to do anything that's a very strict paleo or keto, I just don't feel well. You know, people say, oh my gosh, I have so much energy. I feel so great. When I do it, I have no energy. I feel terrible. And I am so hungry, even after several days when you're supposed to get used to it, because it just does not work with my metabolic type. So if you try it and it doesn't work, and again, you have to give it more than just a day or two, but say a week into it or two weeks into it, into it, you don't feel well, that's an indication that it's not good for you. So, you know, we want to look at, of course, the science, we want to look at the research and some of the benefits of these diets, but really listening to our bodies is going to be number one and how you feel on something is much more important than what research is going to show. Our final question for this episode is about iodine. Do people with Hashimoto's need to stay away from iodine? If we're using pink salt and there's no iodine, can we then become deficient? So this is a really important question and I'm so glad that you asked. In general, 
too much iodine is contraindicated in Hashimoto's. Now, I know that there is talk from both sides and there's people in the iodine camp who say that it doesn't matter if you have Hashimoto's, that it's okay to do high-dose iodine and so many people are deficient and it's good for you. And then there's a lot of people that say the opposite. And I follow... Dr. Karazian, who's done a lot of research and really showed that iodine is contraindicated because it actually can affect TPO and create more issues with Hashimoto's. I also have personal experience with this. About 10 years ago, actually it might be 12 years ago now, I did try high-dose iodine uh, as per recommendation from a doctor I was seeing, and I felt terrible. I think I got four colds in the course of three months and just felt completely off. So from personal experience, but also based on a lot of the research and a lot of the colleagues that I work with, in my opinion, I think that iodine in high doses is contraindicated and I would not recommend it in Hashimoto's. Now, here's the thing. There are some people that say, well, maybe you feel bad on iodine. It's because iodine is chelating other things like bromide. And if you have a bromide toxicity or too much bromide in general in the body, then that could be why you feel bad because it's not that the iodine is making you feel bad, it's creating a detox. And that's a possibility. And sometimes people say, you know, if you take extra selenium, that helps. And I certainly understand that point, and I certainly understand that iodine can chelate some of these things, but because of its effect on TPO and because how it specifically affects Hashimoto's, I still think that it's contraindicated. I also find that iodine testing is a little tricky. If you test for it in blood, it's really hard to see. They have urine tests for iodine, and they have a 24-hour urine challenge where you actually take iodine, and then you collect your urine for 24 hours, and you see how much comes out. And so if a lot of it comes out, it means you don't need it. But if very little comes out, it means your body absorbed it all, and you do need it. But I found that to be really controversial as well. And, you know, there's people that say that this one test is better or another test is better, and there's not really a good consensus out there. So I'm not sure that testing for iodine is really that effective or really accurate. Now, the thing to remember, though, is that we still do need a small amount of iodine because in addition to thyroid, iodine is actually really important for breast tissue. And so what I recommend is that if you do a small dose of iodine, like up to about 250 micrograms, I think that's okay. So it prevents a deficiency and it's not gonna offset Hashimoto. So typically if you're taking a multivitamin, most are gonna have you know 100 or maybe 200 micrograms and that's okay. Eating iodized salt is fine, but iodized salt is just processed salt. So I don't really recommend that. So I'd rather that you do eat the pink Himalayan sea salt or another type of really, really good quality sea salt and then as long as you're getting a little bit through a multi or through some type of a supplement, I think that would be okay. Um, so basically the rule of thumb here is you don't want to do high dose iodine and Hashimoto's. That's contraindicated. And you know, a lot of times people talk about when I talk high dosages, like 10 milligram, 25 milligrams, 50 milligrams. I'm talking about just the necessary amount, which is one to 200 micrograms up to about 250 micrograms. And I think that is safe for Hashimoto's. And you also then are working on preventing deficiency and making sure that you have the iodine for other organs like your breast tissue. 
I hope this was helpful for you guys. And if there's anyone that you know who is struggling with Hashimoto's or thyroid issues and can use this information, please share this episode with them. And be sure you're subscribed to the show so that you never miss an episode. As always, when it comes to your health issues, please, please don't give up. The answers are out there and I'm here trying to provide as much as I can so that you know that there is hope. I'm Ina Toppler. Thank you so much for joining me and I will see you next week on another episode of Health Mystery Solved. All information, content, and material on this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider.